0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Let's open our Bibles. If you have one, we're going to turn to the book of Exodus. And um, we are getting down to the end of the book, right? I don't know if you guys remember, but we uh, last week we looked at the tabernacle. And we were basically saying... Um, we're looking at the end of the book of Exodus, so once you get after the Ten Commandments, you've got a bunch of, um, a section of laws about what does it mean to obey God, and then you have the tabernacle, so all the architecture for what does God's house look like, what does that mean, and then this week we're looking at God's priest, so we looked at God's house last week, we're looking at God's priest this week, um, next week we're going to look at um, Moses and Jesus, right? So the New Testament makes a big deal about Moses as kind of like um, he's the main figure of the Old Testament, Um, and as we've talked about in the Book of Exodus, um, Moses is kind of like one of those like uh, flawed heroes, right? Murderer, not usually the most commendable of attributes, and uh, tends to be a bit of a wimp, um, and tends to have uh, speaking issues, and tends to be a bit weak and meek, Um, so. But more importantly, what God established in Moses, we're going to talk about how next week, um, how God makes it better in Jesus. And then the following week, the last week on Exodus, so the weekend before Memorial Day weekend, we will finish the book of Exodus, looking at the last four verses in the book about God's presence among his people. Is that cool? So tonight, we're looking at God's priests. So we're kind of chat. We're, we're, uh, gathering together a bunch of chapters in one spot. So, book of Exodus, chapter 28, where we're going to be landing tonight, chapter 28 and 29. Um, And so, with that said, let me pray, and then we'll look at this together. Father in heaven, uh, you have been good to us, and Lord, you want us to dwell with you and to be near you. And so, Father, we need help. We need help being near you, because we are weak and imperfect and sinful. And so we ask that you would show us more of Jesus tonight as we look at your word. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you guys ever had the uh, experience of trying to meet with somebody that you don't know. Uh, somebody that is maybe um, maybe a bit more important than you. <laughs> or a bit more um, higher in stature than you. Um, or just somebody that you don't know and you're trying to get to know but you don't have any way to get in contact with them. One of the most weird experiences of my life was, um, so as some of you might know, Michelle's f- mom's family is all from England, and so they're all in the U.K., and they speak weird English, and they, um, but they, uh, her mom, or I'm sorry, Michelle's aunt works for, effectively, which is the Boy Scouts of the United Kingdom, and so she, it's um, the, the Prince of Edinburgh Award, and she was kind of up in management, and she offered one time, like, hey, why don't we go and meet the Prince of Edinburgh? Edinburgh? And if you don't know who the Prince of Edinburgh is, it is, I wrote this down to make sure, Prince Philip happens to be a husband to the Queen. (laughs) So kind of an important dude. But it was one of those things where I was um, uh, getting to meet him. I had to go through all these kind of like like, if, if you think TSA in the hosp- in the airport is kind of, like, inconvenient, like, this is, like, way more inconvenient. And you're, you go through all these, like, checks and guys with very big guns and um, all these long hallways and more checks and who are you. And then when you get to meet them, I don't know if you know this. I didn't know this. You can never actually take a picture with straight on with royalty. Like, you have to be kind of, like, in a chummy conversation with them and it happens to get a picture taken. But we had to have all these like, people who like, brought us into the room and helped us to meet him, right? So it's a really important guy, wanting to get to meet him. And maybe you've had that with like networking to find a job. Like, I want to meet this guy, but I don't know how to help getting in the door, so to speak. That's what we're seeing tonight, effectively. When God talks about a priest, he is talking about, here's my house, and here's you, and how do we come together, Right? How do we bring you and God into his house together? Because we need, like all these, like I was talking about meeting the Prince of Edinburgh, all these checks and balances or check marks, the connection, the right connection in the door. How do we get to meet with God? And we need help, right? at At the heart of what's going on and what is a priest, it means we need help. God's providing help for how to meet him. Right? We, we, uh, we have priests all over the world. Right? We have Buddhist priests and Episcopal priests and Catholic priests and all that. What is our job? Well, in the Bible, the priest that's there um, is not a religious professional, so to speak. He's actually a, a go-between, right? He goes between the people and God and brings them together. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight, specifically, not only in how, what this all means, but how Jesus fulfills it, how Jesus is better. All right, Jesus is the one who brings us perfectly into God's presence, brings us perfectly to God. And so what we're going to do is we're just going to pick up, I'm not going to read all of these verses, but we're going to pull together a few ideas of what exactly is the priest all about in Exodus 28 and 29. So we're going to look at the first part of this is we're going to look at a loving priest. You guys down with that? We're going to look at that together going to look at what is a loving priest. So chapter 28, the whole chapter of uh, uh, chapter 28, can we put up the slide about uh, the garments, like with the picture? So here's, this is chapter 28, this is a picture of everything going on in chapter 28, because in chapter 28 you have basically uh, the shoulder pads of the priest, or um, up there on the top, shoulder pads. You have the the garment that he wears. You have uh, kind of like his undergarments or his underwear underneath that. You have um, the, t- the turban that he wears. You have the, the sash around him. And um, it actually talks about like um, the little bells that go on the hem. And then a rope that you put on his ankle. Uh, well, that's later on in tradition. but So you get this. This is a picture of what's going on in the whole uh, chapter 28. Um, So you see, look, there's the little bells right there. See, pomegranates and bells. But the part I want to draw our attention to, if you will, look with me. Chapter 28, verse 12. And you shall set the two stones. So this is talking about the shoulder pieces. Two stones of the shoulder piece of the ephod as stones of remembrance of the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance and you shall make the settings of fine of gold uh, gold figure and two chains of pure gold twisted like cords and you shall stretch the cord corded chains to the settings right so these are set on the shoulder and then verse 28 chapter 28 verse 29 and 30 so Aaron shall bear so this is talking about the front piece right so we're talking about the shoulders the front piece of his garments because what we see in these is exactly what does it mean for the priest what is his job right what is effectively you're seeing his job description kind of written on his clothes here so verse 29 so Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel on the breastpiece of the judgment of his uh, of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord and in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the urim and the thummim and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Right, so if the clothes that Aaron's wearing are all kind of like his uh, pictured job description, right? He goes in, he has to be, it's, remember, we were looking at this last week, but when we get into the, the, the most important parts of the end of the book of Exodus, tabernacle, the most important parts are all like hand-woven, hand-done to represent. These are the most important things. God's presence is holy, and he is distinct. And to come to God, we we care about the details, right? care about what's going on with knowing God and being near him. And in all of what's going on, here is... Aaron's the high priest, who would have been the main guy who would have gone between the people and God once a year. So, once a year, he would have gone into the most holy place between them and God, and he would have made a special sacrifice for all their sins for the whole year to bring them near God. But the important part I want us to see in these verses is that the way God's designed Aaron's job description it is it's personal, right? Names are written on his shoulder. Names, so on the on the chest piece for what he would have had, twelve stones, the twelve stones of the people of Israel. He would have had their names, known them personally. Like, It's not just kind of like, oh, these are the people, right? We're going to get this religious thing done, but it's knowing them personally, right? And, and not only just kind of knowing them by name, but the way the whole system would have been set up is that, if you look in the book of Leviticus, there's all these rules about uh, cleanliness and non-cleanliness and what does it mean to know God and be near God and be in his presence um, and to atone for our sin and they, they get pretty detailed right they, they go down the, they get into the intimate parts of our lives to show every aspect of our lives is wrecked apart from God and we need his grace and help and so, not only would the high priest have had their names, but then the priest themselves would have constantly been engaging with people's weaknesses and sins on a daily basis, right? They would have brought sacrifices, and everybody would have been able to see, oh, Joe's making a sacrifice for such and such. I guess I know what's going on in Joe's house, right? So they would have been able to see what was going on, but then the priest himself would have been intimately familiar. I mean, we can say somebody, somebody's messed up or screwed up, but the priest would have been able to hear the details, Right? Can you imagine? Remember, they would have had this whole court. Everybody would have watched them go in. And the priest, every day, regularly acquainted with people like us. God, I messed up again. God, I don't know what's going on. We need need our house cleaned. We need our house atoned for. Regularly hearing stories of weakness, of failure, of brokenness. He would have regularly been very familiar with the people's needs. And so when the high priest puts his names on him, he's not just putting on kind of like the phone book, right? This isn't just a phone book that he's putting on him. These are the specific stories of everybody of the people of God. He's thinking, I know Joe, and I know what's going on. And I'm taking this need, sin, weakness, And we're going yet again to God for help because we need help to meet with God. But more importantly, God's provided, right? This isn't like something where we're trying to like grab God's attention. Remember, God's already living among them. God wants them to come near to him. God wants them, which means that God knows his people. He knows their weaknesses. He knows what's going on and he's providing And in all of what's going on, you see the whole system is providing, he's providing a way for them to confess their problems, (laughs) confess their sins and weaknesses. Everybody knows, remember this is happening in a communal setting, right in the middle of everything that's going on. Everybody sees it. It's in the context of community, that they are confessing their need for God and then experiencing this loving priest comes out yet again, goes in and offers a sacrifice to meet with God. He knows his people here, and he knows you. So when we see last month we used for our confession of faith Hebrews four, Hebrews four picks up on this idea of a priest who regularly engages with his people's weaknesses. And we see in Hebrews four, "Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Remember all those weaknesses that the priest would hear daily, weekly, monthly, yearly? Jesus knows how to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right. So here's this picture of this priest in the Old Testament who would regularly engage with people's needs. And here we have Jesus who knows our weaknesses, knows our faults, knows our our sins and failures and all the things that would wreck and confuse and destroy our lives. He knows all those things. And yet he has walked through them personally, just like the high priest would have, but without sin, right? The high priest, you look at chapter 29, the high priest has to make atonement for himself, right? Because he's like, just like us, he's a guy who's broken and flawed. And so his, his life is a wreck apart from God, just like everybody else's. And he has to ask for God's forgiveness. Jesus, however, perfect in every way, never had to ask forgiveness for his own sins. But he knows what it's like to face the temptations that we have the desire to get angry when we don't have things that go our way, right? And there's a lot of ways that can happen, right? <laughs> that could be somebody didn't show up for a meeting, or I got fired from my job when I shouldn't have, or there's things going on in my family that won't get resolved easily, or things are not panning out in my life the way I thought they would, and I'm angry. Right? Jesus knows those temptations. He knows those weaknesses. But he comes to us as a loving Savior, as a loving priest, says, I know. I know what that's like. I know what it's like to face of those temptations, but I've walked through them without sin, and I'm eager to bring you near to God. Right? That's what Jesus is doing. This high priest, amidst all what's going on, he knows the weaknesses of his people, and he comes near to them to kiss them with God's grace. Right, we we often feel like we have nobody who understands our brokenness and need and weakness. Things that are frustrating, things that are not fair, things that are not right. But this says that Jesus our high priest knows our temptations. Knows what it's like to not feel understood, to feel alone. Jesus sees, and it's, it's interesting, I've been thinking about this last week, if you look at the life of Jesus, you begin to see, not only is he kind of like this high priest who kind of like knows, like intellectually, he emotionally experiences. Now, there's a story in the Gospel of Mark, chapter, in chapter 7, where he heals somebody, and what I find interesting, if you just look there at chapter 7, um, verse 34, you don't have to look there, but this is just, he sighs over the suffering that this man is experiencing as he's about to heal him. Jesus lovingly sighs. He knows. You know, like when you just sigh, you're just like out of words. Our high priest looks at us and he he knows, he sighs. God, this is not right. Your sin, but also the suffering that you experience. And he sighs out of compassion for you. But he calls us not only just to experience this personally. But remember, this priest, this loving priest, he does this in a context of community too. Right? We see this uh, this picture that they are confessing their sins in a community context, right? And experiencing God's grace in a community context. It's James five. I'm kind of going all over the place, but I hope you guys are tracking with me. James five says, confess your sins to one, an- one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed for a prayer of a righteous person has great powers that is working. Right? We are, we are a wreck apart from Jesus and even with Jesus we are a wreck <laughs> and we need his help. And God calls us in the context of community to not only know our, a priest who gets God's grace for us personally and brings us near to God personally but together as a family of God, he brings us near to God as not only individuals, but as a community of faith, right? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, so just so you know, tip in my hands, my, my third son's middle name is Dietrich after this dude. Like, I love Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He's my, one of my, my main guys. He says, he who is alone with his sin is utterly alone, but it is the grace of the gospel, which is so hard for the pious to understand that confronts us with the truth and says, you are a sinner, a great and desperate sinner. Now come as a sinner you are to the God who loves you. When we, when we come together and we say, I have sinned and fill in the blank, right? I've been, we call it struggling, but it's anxiety. We have anger. We have lust and greed and discontent right these are all ways in which we are not just struggling but sins of our own hearts and a part of the freedom of the gospel is to say we have a loving priest who knows us who knows the weaknesses that we are confessing and he cares about us and he says freely come to me and receive grace and help and healing and we receive that grace most intimately when we come to each other and say I've sinned and I need God's help. Would you pray for me? Right? It is the most incredible thing in the world to pray for each other. We do it. We tend to not do it because we're Americans and it's um, not like an economic value. Right? It's free and it doesn't seem to do anything. Right? Words going up in the air, not accomplishing anything right? We want our bang for our buck right now. We want to see those little three dots from God saying, thumbs up, I got it, (laughs) right? But when we come together and pray together, God hears us. He hears us and he loves to respond to our needs. So the priest that we're seeing here is not just kind of like this Old Testament action figure that we get to see and kind of analyze and say, like, oh, look how he's dressed. No, this is God's provision of a loving priest who knows our needs and loves to hear them, right? The priest hears regularly the needs of the people. He hears your needs, our needs. Let us not be alone in our sin, guys. Let us not sit in the darkness of our own hearts in the the nighttime when it's two o'clock in the morning and we can't get out of our own heads and the temptations are raging at us. God calls us in the context of community to go to our high priest who loves to hear our prayers and get grace together. That is what he is calling us to in this high priest, this loving high priest who helps us meet with God. So the second thing we're going to pick up on is we're going to look at a perfect priest. So he's not just a loving priest, but we're going to look at, secondly, a perfect priest. So chapter 8, we're going to look at these verses again. Chapter 8, 29 and 30. Right, So Aaron shall bear the names, this is the high priest, shall bear the names of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart. And when he goes in before the Lord, thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord, Regularly, Now pick up down in verse 36. And you shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. Holy is the Lord and you shall fasten on the turban on a cord of blue and it shall be on the front of the turban. So that's on his head. and it shall be in Aaron's forehead and Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrated as their holy gifts. It shall regularly be on his forehead and they shall be accepted before the Lord. And in verse 43... And they shall be on Aaron, right? So he is talking about the, gar- the garments that he wears, right? Kind of like his underwear. And they shall be on Aaron and on his sons, and they go into the tent of meeting, or when they come near to the, the altar of the minister in the holy place, lest they, uh, lest they bear guilt and die. They shall be a statue. This shall be a statue for him and his offspring forever. All right? I just want you guys sticking with me. You guys feeling a little warm in here? you guys. Hanging with me? Cool. First, chapter twenty-nine. I'm going to look over chapter verse ten. Then you shall right. So this is. There's two two sacrifices that they have to make. This is the first one. Then you shall be, bring the bull before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons they shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your fingers and the rest of the blood you shall pour at the base of the altar. Then you shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lube of the liver and the two kidneys of the fat that is on them burn them on the altar. But the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung you shall burn in the fire outside the camp It is a sin offering. So, what's going on with all this butcher shop stuff and everything that's being described in chapter 28? The point is that while this is God's picture of how to meet with him, right? remember how we talked about we need help meeting God and the person who goes between? But the point is that Aaron and the priest and every priest since then would be imperfect. They had to have a sacrifice. They were sinners, just like you and me. They were flawed, they were weak, they were a wreck, they were sinners, and they needed atonement, right? Verse 14, it is a sin offering because these guys are sinners. And if you don't, if you know the story of Aaron, right? Remember Aaron, uh, chapter 32 in the book of Exodus? I don't know, we just threw the gold in the fire and out came a golden calf. Happened to be an (laughs) idolater, Right, I mean, he's not necessarily the most commendable guy, but God continues to use him. This is a guy who was flawed, a perfect God giving a system for how to meet with him because we are imperfect people. But it is never done, right? You remember there, I just, I just want to pull out this verse and then we're going to look at the book of Hebrews briefly. You shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel. This is verse 30, chapter 20. You shall bear judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. God's people are imperfect. And this priest's and their system is imperfect. But it points us towards a Savior, towards a priest who bears his people on his heart. Does that sound familiar? Bears his people on his heart. Let's look at chapter ten of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter ten. Right, we're gonna kind of going back and forth here the book of Exodus just to kind of tie this all together. Chapter ten, we see in verses eleven through fourteen, and every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. God wants to bring his people near to himself. And he offers this priesthood and the whole system as a picture that our hearts are the problem. Everything about us that's wrong is not the physical things that go wrong, those are manifestations of the fallen nature of the world, right? The problem is at the heart level. But the priests that are offering these sacrifices to bring people together, they're imperfect too. And yet, here we have Jesus who comes in and offers himself. Because Jesus is without sin. Jesus never sinned. Never had a greedy thought, never uh, had an angry word or thought, never had a lustful thought, never had um, a a covetous thought, right? He was perfect in every way. And he was the one who actually could have lived eternally without having to do anything because of who he was. No sin. But he chose to offer himself, not not a lamb, not an animal that could never—because an animal can never stand in for a human, right? I mean, I know we love our pets, and some people are more pet people than other people, but humans and pets can never be substituted. Jesus comes in and offers himself as a substitute, right? And priests are all over this book. Like of all the times in the New Testament where priests are mentioned— this is like, in terms of like the letters, this is the concentration. There's like 33 times, and there's like four times in the letters outside of this, right? So this is where priests are talked about big time. Jesus is the perfect priest, and if you look at verse 12, look at verse 12 with me. But when Jesus had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, and what's that sacrifice? That's himself on the cross in our place. He sat down at the right hand of God. Now, if you remember from last week, let's talk about the, the house of God. Right? We have the court, we have God's front yard, we have God's front door, go into the front door, and we have, in between there, we have this, the, the place where sacrifices are burned, and we have a washing pool to wash our hands going back and forth, and then we go inside, and there's a lamp to light the presence of God, Right, and there's bread for God's presence, and then you go into the Holy of Holies, and there is the Ark of the Covenant with the, the, the law of God in it. Is there one piece of furniture that is missing in the house of God? It is a chair. There is no chair in God's house. Because the system was continual, ongoing, never ending. And yet, here we have Jesus' sacrifice and how is it described? Done and he sits down. It is completed. The system in the Old Testament would never be completed because there's no chair in the temple. But in Jesus' place, there's a chair, right? I know this is kind of, we're not trying to do like an Ikea run here of the New Testament. We're saying that Jesus' sacrifice is perfect to bring us and God together. Jesus is the one who brings us together into God's presence. It is done, right? It is effectively the mic drop of atonements, right? You have all the atonements that are going on in the Old Testament, right? They're all trying to vie for the mic drop. Jesus comes in and he's perfect. It's done, completed. All the things that we have done to offend God, which would erupt his eternal wrath against us, that would bind us in our Sin forever and ever, right? The the ways, the the twisted ways we think, the way we manipulate each other, the heart motives that we have that are so distraught and wrong that would bind us. Jesus has done away with their their wrath and their binding forever, and He sits down to now give out His grace that He's purchased for us forever, right? It's a it's a it's a seat where He is just giving out grace. <laughs> Because he is perfectly paid for everything that would separate us from God's presence, right? The picture that we've been looking at is God's over there in the middle of of us, so we know he wants to be with us, and we're out here, and we need to get between here and there. The system that they had would never be complete. But Jesus comes in, sits in the middle, after he's offered himself, And we now get into God's presence free of charge forever and ever and ever and ever for every need, for every want, for every weakness and failure. God gives us his grace forever. We dwell in the house of God forever because of this perfect priest who comes in. Right, so this is why we talk a lot about Jesus. Have you ever wondering why do we talk a lot about Jesus? Because Jesus, from last week, we are seeing how Jesus is, is where God dwells, right? Jesus is where God is, right? And Jesus now brings us near to God because he's gone away with all the things that would keep us from God. So not only do we get God's house with Jesus, we get God himself in Jesus and we get near to God through Jesus. So now What? If you look at Hebrews 10, chapter 19, therefore, or chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, isn't he so great? Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Right? So, God is taking them someplace. Remember, this whole thing that's going down is God is taking them someplace. He's taking them to the promised land. Right? This, God is dwelling among them and he's taking them to his hometown. And the priest keeps them in relationship with God as they're moving towards their hometown. He is not only their identity point, but he's taking them to their new residence. Right? Right? And now we we have, this, we have this hope, right? We're not looking for a plot of land in terms of like, we're trying to get a specific zone to the earth. God is going to redo the whole thing and he's going to hand it over for us to dwell with him forever. And we're walking towards that with Jesus with the hope that things will be better one day. Things will be changed and different. And it's in him that we walk there, that priest. One thing I just want to draw our attention to is that the way that God designed his house is that there was one way in. And the way he designed his house is that there was one person that led us in. So you have on the east side of the tabernacle, which sounds a lot like the east side of Eden, we now go back into God's presence. But we only go back into God's presence through the high priest, which is to say through Jesus which is why, when we talk about Jesus being the only way to know God, it's because God Himself has come down and said, I want to be known. I want to be delighted in and enjoyed. I want to dwell with you. But there is only one way to come to me, right? We aren't just looking at the Bible and saying, like, Jesus is better than all you other guys. No, we're looking at the Bible and saying, no, God has provided a way to know himself and the only way to come near to God is through the sacrifice that God himself has offered, right? The priest that God has given us. The mediator, you might say. Remember, trying to meet with God. Can't come near him without somebody doing the inner work between us. So this isn't trying to be restrictive of like, all those other people don't know what they're talking about. Well, we all don't know what we're talking about apart from God telling us. (laughs) And God himself has come down and said, you must come to me and I want you to come to me. And the only way to come to me is through my son, Jesus. Right? So we're, when we're looking at the Bible, we're seeing God telling us there's one way into my presence. So I'm telling you guys, if you don't know Christ, if you haven't trusted him, look to him because he's going to, he is the presence of God. He brings you near into God's presence. He is the one Who brings you into friendship with God again? He is the one who does away with all the sin that would separate us. Because here's the thing we talk about this, sometimes the way this is heard is like, oh, well, you're being restrictive, and there's lots of spiritual paths to God, and we all can find God in our own way. Here's the reality apart from Jesus, we all dwell outside of God's presence, which is to say, we dwell under God's judgment and we get what we want. C.S. Lewis has this great little line. He says, hell is locked from the inside. People don't go to hell because they wanted God and they're just going to get the opportunity. People, apart from Christ, are given over to themselves. We are given over to our heart quenched like a fist in God's face for eternity. And it is a horrific Horrific thought to think myself given over to myself unending all the ways, all the thoughts that I have, all the things that I would do, all the things that you and I would do apart from God's merciful grace, which here we see in the book of Exodus, reaching out to his people to pull them out of darkness and despair and sin and wrath forever He reaches out. God's the one, remember, we've been looking for the book of Exodus. At what point did they say, God, we really want you to glorify your name and save us. They're appealing for God to fulfill his promises, right? But God does it in a way to glorify his name and to free them from any hope that their oppressors, your oppressors, your sins could be a home for you. God is making them a home He's providing them a priest to know Him and to be near Him. So this and Jesus, we are seeing as our perfect priest. You guys hanging with me? Or are we going to? All right, we're going to close up here. Third thing we're going to look at. We look at. We looked at. We looked at a loving priest. Second, we looked at a perfect priest. The third thing we're going to see is a sent priesthood. Would you look at chapter 29 of Exodus? Back again. Sorry, keep flipping back and forth. Chapter 29 of Exodus at the last few verses. 43 through 46. So he is talking about the house of God where he's going to meet because of these priests. There I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. So this is God speaking. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Remember back in chapter X, Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, it says, I'm going to make you a kingdom of priests. And then here he offers the priesthood as a way for God to continue to dwell with them. And he's reminding them, I'm taking you out of Egypt And I'm leading you towards the promised land. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to dwell among the people of Israel. And what was said to them is fulfilled in Christ. We are now the priesthood of God in Jesus, right? They they had a story, looking at the gospel according to Exodus, according to Moses in the book of Exodus, they had a story that showed the glory of God to the people to the nations, right? The nations of the time had never heard of anything like this, right? A God who invades a foreign territory, takes his people out, demolishes that, that territory's God's by the sacrifice that he offered leads them out by a miracle through the Red Sea, and then takes them on a caravan to their homeland. (laughs) And then they have this story to tell to the nations. And that is the same thing that we have. In Christ, we are now what we call the priesthood of all believers. Right? There is no Christian in this room that is uh, closer to God than any other Christian. Some of you might have prayers that are more regularly heard than mine, which is totally cool, and I'd love for you to pray for me, and I'll give you my prayer list, but all Christians have access to God in an equal way. That's one of the, that's one of the things that we recovered in the Reformation. We're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, which is when Martin Luther, a German, no doubt, named, nailed 95 problems that he had with the Catholic Church that he wanted to talk about to the door in Wittenberg and started this whole thing off. One of the things that we recovered there's a priest of all believers. Now the way we hear that typically is it's like um, it's a participation ribbon, right? Thanks for being a Christian. You're now a priest, <laughs> right? That's not the way the Bible means it, right? What the Bible means when it says that you're a priest, what have we been looking at in the book of Exodus? It goes into God's presence. God, give us grace and mercy. It goes out to God's people and to the nations. Here is God's grace and mercy. Right, the priesthood, what it means to be a priest as a Christian means that you are appealing for God's grace in your life and the lives of the people around you. And then you're taking that grace and taking it to the people around you. And if you think I'm making that up, I promise. I promise it's right in the Bible. Let me show you. First Peter, and we're going to end here. I promise. I'm not going to keep dragging you around. First Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious as Jesus, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are now, in Christ, you are now brought near into God's presence. You know him. You go to God for grace. God, my family needs your help. God, my work, I am so tempted to be angry and mean and spiteful. Give me mercy. Give me a heart of mercy. God, give You have free access to God. You don't have to come to me. I'm not going to get you any closer to God. You go to God. He gives you the grace. <laughs> Verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness, into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. That sounds a lot like the book of Exodus. Called out of darkness into his marvelous light so that you can now go proclaim the excellencies of him. Right. The point of the priesthood is that we need help meeting with God. We, you and I, need help. We must have God's help in Jesus to meet with him. But the same thing, when we come to Christ, we now become priests that take that same help to the people around us. The very nature of what it means to be a Christian is a priest on mission from a missionary God to the people that he's seeking. We are to take his grace to the people that don't know him. And that could be anywhere, right? That could be on 45 Canyon Street. It could be the people right next door. It could be the people you see in the hospital every time you go to the hospital. It could be the people at your work sitting right next to you. It could be the children, God love them, in your family. (laughs) It could be the people that you just kind of randomly meet at a concert. It could be the people that you go to the same restaurant once a week or once a month and see every day the same uh, waitress. It could be that person. We are called as a part of what it means in your very DNA as a Christian to be like Jesus Understanding the needs and hurts of the people around us. God, that we are so lost and broken apart from you. But in Jesus, who has borne all of our sins on himself and given us free mercy, he now makes us priests so that it's not a participation badge that you get for being a Christian, but it's now a calling. Help people meet God. Help us. Help each other. Right, This is a part of why we have a community, the book of Hebrews talks about later on, we get together regularly because we need help. <laughs> and we get together because we go to God together to be priests for each other, get grace for each other. We, we help each other meet God. And then we help each other go out and meet other people who need God. Right, so as we're looking at this, I hope you guys are seeing this with me, this priest thing. Right? It's not just kind of like this like, oh, there's this religious professional and this is what his job description is. We're actually seeing that God is pursuing us and wants us to meet with him. We need God's help. And God provides it in Jesus. God meets with us through his priest in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Jesus as our priest. And Father, we pray that as we look to him and trust in him and experience his presence with us, Father, we ask that you will remind us and refresh us again that you've provided our help to meet with you in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire.